And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show, another Friday edition of our Prospect Series. I am Max Boldman, and with me, as always, is Corey Pronman. We've got a fun show for you guys today. Corey's prospect rankings are out. We're going to go through those in depth. We've got some news on the draft front. We've got some World Junior Camp Showcase news to talk about. And as always, we've got reader questions, some really good reader questions this week that I'm really excited to get to. So just to kick it all off, Corey, I want to start with something that we just missed getting into last week's episode, and that is Owen Power, the presumptive first overall pick in next month's draft, saying he is leaning toward returning to school. Um, that is not always the the standard, not usually the standard that you hear from the first overall pick. I mean, not just not always. It's it's become extremely rare, you know, for first, even second overall picks to to not play in the NHL following their draft you know we were talking about with Owen Power you have to go back to Eric Johnson another college defenseman who was the last one to do it so you're you know you're talking 15 years ago since this last happened and and I say that with the caveat that we don't really know exactly what's going to happen with Power that he he said in an interview that's where he's leaning but leaning doesn't mean that's for sure going to happen we'll see what happens after the draft what the team that that uh, drafts him thinks what he thinks uh that said, his comments seem to indicate that his, he had a, you know, a pretty reasonable thought process behind it and you know, wanting to go back, get the college experience, really have a great year back in college. And that being said, the University of Michigan uh, hasn't exactly shied away from promoting that either. So it, it leads me to believe it's, he's got a decent chance to be back in, in Michigan next season, which I think is perfectly fine. You know, I, I, after kind of like watching him, at the Worlds, I thought he had a chance to play in the NHL and not just be like 
you know, treading water. I thought he could be a, you know, a useful player right away. I wasn't really 100% sure on that after watching him in Michigan this season. I thought he was a great player, but I wasn't. I thought you could have argued he needed to go back and dominate. But, like, you know, he can have the year now that, you know, guys like McCarr or Quinn or, or McAvoy or Rowenski had go back, have a great sophomore season. That Michigan team's going to be absolutely stacked because now you have power and veneers and Johnson likely going back. You're going to be adding in Luke Hughes, adding in Maxenaskevich, adding in Dylan Duke. Brisson's still there. Bortolo's still there. John Beecher's still there. I mean, that team's going to be like watching like a World Junior game every weekend. Well, so if you're – just to, to take this to the NHL place for a minute, if you're Buffalo and you have the first overall pick and you – you know, we expect that – or we think that that's where this may go is, is them taking on power – you expect the team to have a say in a decision like this, but if you're the team, do you try to talk him out of this if this is where his preference is? Like, how do you approach this as a team? I thought it was really interesting that he said this now, not after the draft. Uh, that I thought was was interesting to me, not like to play into the narrative of, oh, he doesn't want to go to Buffalo. I don't think that's it, but I guess he just really strongly believes he wants to go back to school for another season. And and I don't think it's unreasonable. But but yeah, like whatever team drafts him will have a say, which is why I, I said at the beginning I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he is definitely going back to Michigan next season. You know, if, if Buffalo or, or whoever else drafts him and they say, "Hey, we think it's, we think you're ready. Uh, you showed for for example at the World Championships, you're you're clearly ready to play versus men. Uh, we think you just would be too good for college if you went back. It's in your best interest to sign, get into the NHL. Then it's possible that's what he does, but." Uh, I would say the the evidence is leaning the other way right now. You mentioned a couple of defensemen who, especially in Cal McCarr and Quinn Hughes in the last few years, who did two years of college, come into the NHL and hit the ground running. Kind of conversely, we've seen some of the first overall picks of the last couple of years uh, take their lumps a little bit in the NHL in their first yep. season. Is, is there any chance this starts a trend of players being more willing to to take that one extra buffer year before debuting? I think you want to be careful not to buy too much into recency bias. I've heard this argument from NHL people too about Jack Hughes and, and Lafreniere uh, not really, uh, you know, doing all that amazing in their first years. But it's easy to forget that were, you know, Rasmus Dahlin had a, had a very good first year in the NHL. You know, guys like like Matthews had a, had a great first year. Nico Heischer was a was a very useful player in his in his first NHL season. And obviously, you keep going back into you know to, to Matthews and McDavid and so on and so forth. Aaron Ekblad was really good his first year in the NHL, so I, I don't think you want to read too much into the last two how the last couple of years have gone. Even though they, it, it's uh, I, see, I see the rationale. You, you, every case is a little bit different, and if you if the team and the player both think they would benefit from an extra year, uh, as we talked about before, I think Powers is the best prospect. Yeah, I think he's a you know a true you know elite prospect, but I don't think there is no evidence that he can't go back for another season. I've, I've analogized him to the same level as Tim Stutzla and Quinton Byfield. Byfield played a whole full season in the American League this season, so I think it's perfectly reasonable to think that that power could benefit from an extra year of college. My last question on, on this subject is that if the number one overall pick, we don't expect to start next season in the NHL. Is anybody going to start next season in the NHL? Is there anyone else besides Owen Power that there's a good chance is is, is in the opening night lineup? I don't know about a good chance, but I would say it's an open question as to whether Genther, Dylan Genther, the winger from Edmonton, or William Eklund, uh, the four from your garden, uh, either of them I think will have be interesting to watch at their NHL camps. Eklund was just so good versus men uh, this season. 
mostly at the SHL level, but occasionally at the national team level too. Uh, so I thought, you know, that he showed that I, I don't know if he will do it, but he's close. And I think it'd be, it'll be, it would be an interesting, uh, camp for him. And Genther, while he didn't have the best U18 worlds in guys who were two pointed game guys in the WHLs, first year eligibles and tend to have good skating size compete. I, I would imagine that. I don't know if he'll make his team, but I think that's another one where I, th- I would imagine he will have a long camp process and and he he could make it interesting. All right. Speaking of William Eklund, a little bit of news uh, happening the last couple of days. The rosters from the U-20 World Junior Summer Showcase in Plymouth starting to come out. Uh, any news, anything really catch your eye out of these rosters that we've started to see? Uh, the obvious uh, interesting one would be Sweden. In that they they brought up a, a more of an older roster. There weren't a lot of the O threes on there. Uh, Simon Edvinson and Anton Olsen were there on defense. Carl Lindbaum in net. Isaac Rosen and Simon Robertson at forward. Uh, but one of the O three fours they didn't bring was Fabian Liesel. Um Liesel was uh, one of the top top ranked players in this year's draft coming into the draft season. And while he had a good draft season, I wouldn't say he had an, an amazing draft season either. He had a good U18 world, didn't have an amazing tournament. Uh, and so that one w- was interesting. I uh, Just given that, I, I think Rosen definitely had a better tournament than him. I'm not saying that he had a dramatically better tournament than him, but he definitely played better. And I, I think, you know, this kind of plays in some of the buzz on Lee Sell of, you know what is the, what is this guy? Uh, can't is he? You know, are the shortcomings in terms of his size on and off compete enough to make up for the dynamic skill and speed he brings? I think this kind of just more plays into the discussion that we've already been having about him on previous podcasts. Um, you know, in, in other places in the media and NHL circles that are having about him, and I think that will be interesting. And and the other interesting one was from Finland's U twenty roster. Most of the, the names you expected were there. Uh, had some NHL scouts joked they wondered if Atu Ratu was was going to make it this time, and he did. Uh, Samu Tuomala, potential first rounder, was there. Samu Salmanen, maybe first rounders on there. Uh, the one that I thought was interesting is Alexi Hamosalmi, who had a great U18 Worlds for Finland, was named defenseman of the tournament, was not on that U20 roster. He's going to the U19 camp, which typically indicates he's not in the mix to go to the World Shooter Summer Showcase. You know unless he has an incredible U19 camp, which I don't think is unreasonable. He wasn't really considered a top, top prospect for most of the season. He had a great tournament, though. Loved you know the skating, the skill he showed there. He's definitely a good prospect. I don't think it's an unreasonable decision. That said, I can say I looked at that U20 uh, camp roster Finland had and thought this is just, there's just too many good players here. There's you know, some good players, very old roster. There aren't really, I don't think there's only a 102. On there, I believe, unless, sorry, uh, 103, unless I'm mistaken. Uh, but yeah, those are, I think, were the, the two main highlights I took away from that. One question on the Sweden roster. So no Holtz, no Raymond on the Swedish roster, but both of those guys have played in the last couple of World Juniors for Sweden. Is that more of a, they don't have to prove anything at this showcase, or is that an indication that maybe they're not going to be available to the team of Sweden? It could be a little bit of both, I think. We'll see what happens when they go through the NHL camp process and and where they stand. I don't think it's 
unrealistic to expect both of them to be at the World Junior this winter. It's possible one, I would guess Raymond would be maybe one of the the odd man out would could be on could be on Detroit, but I if I had to just, you know, try and project the future here, which is uncertain, I could I could see both of them being at the tournament when it's all said and done. Uh, but just because they're not just been on the U20 team, but the World Junior team for two straight seasons, they're in the I'm trying to make the NHL mode right now. So they it's not typical for them to come something like this. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, let's get into the meat of the show today. You published on Tuesday uh, one of your, maybe your biggest project of the year, at least one of them, your your final draft board is a top 151 uh, tell us, first of all, before we start to get into some of the highlights of this, give us a little peek into kind of how the sausage is made on something like this. I mean, obviously, it's it's a long process. Uh, just from, I think a, any reader can kind of just read both just how long it is in terms of the, the amount of words and the, the amount of information in there and, and reasonably surmise that it's a lot of watching players, it's a lot of phone calls, it's a lot of deliberation, a lot of writing, a lot of editing. Uh, the, the workload is uh, rather significant to put this kind of project together. Uh, and it, it is really a year-plus-long project. You're watching a lot of these players, particularly the top players, for two years and really just watching them over and over again at various levels to, to understand them Uh you know this uh and once you start kind of putting the book together on them you can now you, i probably started a working list like a real like i always i put out a list every you know every couple of months but uh, you know right around let's say november december january you're really starting to make a real real list and starting moving guys up and down every day uh typically i will start doing that for like the top 30 top 50 uh, around that time and and, and a point where you have it memorized almost and uh, I've talked to some scouts who do this process some who do it a little different where they're tweaking their list every day throughout the season uh, you know I have uh, the tool grades I have for players that they, that they will see published uh, in the article I have that in a spreadsheet and you're always kind of moving those around every day bump this guy up a skating bump this guy down on the hockey center something like that and it's just a really intense process, and and you really need to do it that way, so that it almost becomes memorized. You know, this guy slots here for for X and Y reason, uh, based on this kind of research I've done on him. And I, and, by, and by doing getting at that every single day over a very long period of time, 
you feel really comfortable with the draft class and, and ready to write about them in a comprehensive manner. Well, there's a ton of great information, and I highly recommend anybody listening take the time, go through and read it, absorb the information, uh, obviously take a look at who's ranked where. But one of the things that I'm always fascinated in as someone who uh, certainly spends a whole lot of time on on your draft boards at both midseason and final season for, for my job is the movement when something like this comes out. And I wanted to ask you today about a few of the guys who moved, uh, some significantly, some not so significantly, but um, a few guys moving up in this one, Mason McTavish, who we've talked a lot about, Matt Coronado and Simon Edvinson. But you are still a little lower on Edvinson than I guess maybe where we think he'll be picked. What did he do to move up and why is he still not in that kind of upper echelon for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've watched Edvinson a lot the last two years. I would say he, among the top prospects, other than the Michigan kids, he's probably the one I've done the most work on. Uh, I obviously haven't been able to see him live until the U18 Worlds. The last time I saw him alive was at the U17 Challenge uh, two Novembers ago. And obviously just, that's just due to travel restrictions and, and, and whatnot. But done a lot of work on him over the last two years. And when you watch him, the toolkit is, ev- is evident. He's a top five player in this draft in terms of just the, the pure tools. He's, he's big. Uh, pretty good skater for the size. I don't think it's the elite feat. I think that's the one area where I disagree on with some NHL scouts. Something he's an truly like elite skater for that size. I think it's just good skater for that size. And he's just, you know he's got great hands. He's got some power play ability. He's a good defender. Uh, I've asked this question to some people around the league uh, because that's always been a debate point where I am on Edvinson versus compared to some others. And, and I ask, you know, well, what did he do this season to be deserving of, of a top five pick? And I think most of the scouts, whether the, they're kind of closer to where I am or whether they're really, really bullish on the guy, will admit he didn't really have a, a top five pick caliber season. I thought he had a good season. He was good at the J20 level. He held his own in the SHL, wasn't great, but didn't get a run over. And he was good in the Alsvenskin, wasn't like kind of like how Hampus Lindholm or Oliver Ekman Larson were at that level. But he was pretty good. But the argument is he didn't have a top five pick caliber season at the U18 Worlds either. But it but it's all about projecting the attributes. And projection is a big part of what you know scouts do. Is not about now. It's about the future. And with Evanson, you can definitely see six four skating skill. You know projection looks really really good. But for me, just from watching him the entire season, I, I would have some hesitancy on a guy who didn't really you know have any incredible season not a bad season he didn't have an incredible season and i think with some of the guys i have ranked ahead of him there's a little bit more of a track record of they can actually do it that made me less hesitant but after seeing like the u18 worlds like i liked i liked you know you, you saw you know the, the skill i thought he was a hard physical defender he was you know really good in transition uh, I, I definitely saw like okay i'm being a little harsh on this guy he's, he's a really good player and has a lot of upside but I'd like to see it be a little bit more consistent. You've got average grades on him across the board, average skating, average puck skills, average hockey sense, average compete. Um, but this is always a note that I think people gloss over when they read your, uh, your board is that that is NHL average. That's a good thing to be yeah. average across the board. Yeah. I mean, and that got lost in translation with me using descriptive words this year. And I might have to make it clearer in, in future articles, but like just, just do that logically. All right. He's NHL average skating. NHL average skill, NHL average hockey sense, and above, and you know, and and well above average size. You know that would 
be a top four defenseman, might even be a two or three level defenseman. That's that's what that player looks like in the NHL. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of people, when when you talk about a, a big guy who can move, who who has a little bit of puck skill to him, um, I think people wonder offensive defenseman with Simon Everson. You see him a little bit differently than that. Yeah, I mean, well, he just has no track record of ever being an offensive defenseman. He has offense, he has skill, but he's he, there is not really, and I don't really talk to many people around the league, even the ones who are really, really big on him, who think he's going to be like a PP1 type. Like That's not the expectation. The expectation is he's going to be a good two-way top four defenseman, second PP with some hard minutes. All right. Um, one of the other guys who moved up from from 30 on your midseason list to 15 right now is Matthew Coronado, Chicago Steel. A lot of above average grades on him, above average skating, above average compete, above average shot. Um, what changed from midseason with Matthew Coronado and where do you think he actually goes in this draft? Yeah, um, I actually went out to go watch them right towards the end of the season. I was at the I was at the uh, the Clark Cup finals there between Chicago and Fargo and I don't think he was great, but I kind of seeing his skating up close, I think maybe a little bit more confident in giving him the above average grade. Um, I mean, the guy just had an amazing season though overall. And I think it, we didn't expect him to be, you know, this highly ranked coming into the season. So I always, you know, with those guys, you kind of are always like really slowly creeping them up. And I don't know, like I think just everything about him is really impressive. Uh, he just he just seems to just impact the game in so many ways. He he plays hard. He plays with skill. He can make plays. He can score. The skating isn't like incredible for a guy that size, but it's good. It's definitely NHL quality. And I don't know what more he could have done this season to to be you know a high draft pick. I get he's not that big and he's talented, but it's not incredible talent. But he just checks off so many boxes, and the production just was just insane. Now, the USHL is a little weird this season because of the COVID season in that there was no cross-conference play. So they, they played a lot of the same opponents. Some might reasonably argue that Youngstown was easy to beat up on a little bit. I can see the argument either way. But I just think in general, he just had he was one of the best players in the league and I think showed all the indications he's a strong NHL prospect. One of the things I was fascinated to see, Jesper Wallstead has been the consensus kind of top goalie in the draft, at least in the public sphere for most of this run. You have him very, ranked very high. You have him ranked number 11, but you have the other first round goalie, Sebastian Kosa, one spot above at number 10. How did you arrive at that conclusion? And how, I guess, how, how set are you in that distinction? Well, given that they're one spot apart, I, I don't want to say I'm that set. If someone took Wallstead over Kosa, I'm not going to say that's unreasonable. I, I think this is those two compared against each other is really interesting. I don't want to say this is my original thought. I'm stealing this from a, from a scout I knew, I knew in that you know Wallstead had a really good first half, put up big numbers in the SHL. Uh, you know, went to the World Juniors, didn't play that much, but he was good when he played. looked looked like you know a, a no doubter top goalie prospect. Uh, then the second half of the season came, didn't play didn't play poorly, but didn't play as well. Uh, they went out and Lule went out and got another goalie. His star started to go down. He wasn't really uh, getting regular playing time as much the last few months. Then you contrast that with Sebastian Kosa, who didn't play at all in the first half uh, because the WHL had the delayed start. And now the second half comes around and he's playing almost every game for Edmonton, just crushing it when he is playing, just you know, huge numbers. I think they only lost one of the games he started in all season. 
Um, you know, scouts are obviously going to this game for him and Dylan Genther, and they're just, you know, just absolute raves coming from scouts, six, six, you know, just, you know, so talented. And, you know, he's an interesting, uh, goalie prospect. Um, now the, the sample size is an issue. And like with the USHL with Coronado, he only played a couple of the same teams over and over again. But, you know, if you had hypothetically asked me, you know, not in this draft, but in any given draft, you know, Corey, what would it take for a goalie to be considered a really, really high pick? I would be like, well, you know, hypothetically, they'd have to be big. They'd have to be really athletic. They'd have to be technically skilled. Uh, they'd have to be really intelligent and competitive and put up, you know, be really consistent with their puck stopping and put up huge numbers. And, you know, kind of, Kosa kind of checks all those boxes. You know, he, he has all the attributes, yeah, you know, the aesthetics ones, the, the hockey sense. His production the last two seasons in the WHL have been great. Uh, so I, I, I don't know how you can't be really high on this guy. And, you know, talking to most teams around the league, don't think everybody has him like top 12, top 13, but the more teams I talk to, I would say a decent chunk of them view him in that way. Uh, so I think just one of those guys who really benefited from actually having a season when it wasn't really sure the WHL was going to have a season. And there was probably maybe not a goalie, but in the OHL, there probably would have been a guy or two like that too, if they would have had a season. Uh, the way, the place you have them ranked at 10-11 is right around where we've seen the first goalie go off the board in the last couple of drafts and Spencer Knight and Yaroslav Askarov. Are these two goaltenders at least in the same tier as those two? Are they – is either of them ahead? Where, where do you – how do you see them in comparison? I think all four of them are rather close. I think ranking all four of them, which I'll probably have to do sometime this summer, would be a very challenging exercise. All right. Uh, another name that jumped out to me at number 16 is a guy that we don't talk about a lot, but you have him ranked in an area that maybe – I wonder if we should, and that is Kirill Kursanov. He's a defenseman out of SKA in Russia. You described him as well-rounded but boring. Um, why do you see him as a top half of the first-round player in this draft, and do you think that's where he actually goes? I don't know if he's going to go to the top half of the first round, but I you know, I talked to enough people in the NHL that, that really like this guy. I would expect he goes 20 to, to 40 range. And you know, he played for Ska St. Petersburg this season, which is one of the top teams in the KHL. Uh, didn't get a ton of minutes when he did play, which isn't that untypical for a guy um, in on that team in that role. But you know, if I didn't even mention um, a player to you, like I done, before we get into Kursanov, if I would have said, "Hey, I know this player. Uh, he made Russia's World Junior Team." Ended, you know, ended the world junior team playing on their first defense pair in their top power play. Ended up playing with their senior national team by February. Played really well. Played power play. Played penalty kill. Uh, played on one of the top KHL teams and played for them in the playoffs. You'd probably be like, well, who is this guy? Let me, you know, tell me more. And I, I kind of find it weird that, that, that he d- did all those things. And it's all just track records. It's not scanning report yet. Um, and, and we don't really, you know, I don't think there's been enough discussion about that. that's a pretty unusual thing for a first year draft eligible to do. Mind you, it was a weird COVID year. And I think when you look at the player, he has, you know, he's a good skater. He's really intelligent. The skill won't just like jump out at you, but I, and he didn't put up giant numbers in the MHL, the junior league. So I think that's a cause for concern, but I've seen him have for the last two years, I've seen him play the power play at a high level. I've seen there is some offense in there. Uh, his conditioning is a minor issue. I know that's probably the biggest issue with teams is he's definitely a little bit chubby, uh, but he still seems to skate around the ice rather well. He plays, you know, confidently and effectively versus men. 
So I don't really think it's that big an issue. Uh, I'll be curious to see where he goes. And I've, I've had this argument with some people in the league that, you know, you compare him to, say, Shakir Makamadoulin last season. Different caliber athletes, 164 versus 161. But but this guy had a way better season than Makamadoulin did. Doesn't mean he's a way better prospect because of some distinct differences in, in their size profiles. But, uh, you know, he definitely, you know, compared this season to what Makamadoulin had. And, and this guy's season was way better. So I'll be really curious to see where he goes when it's all said and done because he is playing with Ska and he just recently signed a two-year extension as well. How much does that impact things? I mean, I, I know this is kind of the eternal question. A guy commits to an extra deal in Russia and it goes, is that going to force him to drop? You have to wait two years for him. Is that still going to be a big issue for him? Uh, I think it depends on the player. You know, if you're looking for a guy who might be a late first, early second, I, I think you usually expect those guys to take three, four years anyway. So that's not really a big concern. Uh, Spechkov, for example, Fedor Spechkov might be a first rounder, just transferred to Ska as well. Uh, so I don't know if that impacts, you know, him being a first rounder, but maybe it won't impact. Maybe you don't take him top 15, maybe if you're worried about how long he might stick around there, for example. Uh, but the one that will uh, really impact would be like a really high pick, like Matvey Mitchkov, for example who signed several years past his draft to your talk. People are talking about as a really, really high draft pick. And uh, if I was a general manager, I would have grave concerns of using a first, second, or third overall pick uh, on a KHL player signed multiple years past his draft. Well, I'll be very interested to see where Kursanov goes. I mean, especially in these playoffs, it seems like the, the value has been reinforced of what a steady, intelligent defense core that can make stops. Like there's real value in that, even if it's not the flashy, you know, half a point per game or better defense guy that, that I think gets everybody's attention at this time of year. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think I don't know what more he could have done this season to, to help his draft stock other than maybe score a few more points when he's at the junior level. But you know, he, like I said, I, there aren't that many first year draft eligibles who come a cut or two away from making Russia's world championship team. So I, I just think that that one is really interesting to me. I could be wrong. I could be way off, but, uh, that one is definitely really interesting to me. All right. And if there's guys moving up, that means there are guys moving down. So let's start with a couple of the Swedes that I noticed. Oscar Olison, William Stromgren, they are down from your last board to varying degrees. Something changed there? Is that just as more players got their seasons going, they were able to move up? And so these guys just kind of moved down by, by staying what they were doing. What's the story there? Yeah, two different stories with, with them. We'll start with Oscar Olison, who played with HV71 and starts the season at the J20 then went to the SHL, then went to the Osvenskin right after. I thought he started off his season really, really well in the HV71 junior uh, junior team, put up huge numbers. Uh, then he goes to the SHL and the Osvenskin and the World Juniors, where his play was more up and down. Uh, scouts got a little bit more concerned by by his work level uh, when when he went to went to those uh, he went to we went to the pro game. Uh, it looked like he get physically outmatched a lot and. The effort wasn't always there to go with, but the, the the toolkit's really exciting. You know, big, good skater, really skilled. I think he can make some plays. Not a tremendous playmaker, but he, I think it's something in there. He can shoot the puck really well. I, I can't say there's really anybody on HV71 who had a great season. That team was relegated uh, this season. Uh, so it may not have been that easy to stand out on, on a bad SHL team. Uh, but yeah, definitely his second half, he didn't impress as much. Stromgren has been a really tough one for me to follow this season. 
because uh, the first half, I didn't really know much about him. I watched him a little bit last season, didn't really watch him that much, and he kind of popped uh, at the start of the season. You're like, start getting texts about this, you know, six two, six three, four. You can skate, and he has great hands, and you're like, oh wow, like that's really intriguing. Uh, NHL Central Scouting put an A grade on him to start the season. They since come off that, but I also had him as a first rounder. Um, and then second half, he didn't play quite as well. Some flashes in the Alsvens kid, but not really as consistently. And then he goes to Sweden's under 18 camp, barely makes the team. Uh, he was kind of on the bubble there with, with two other guys to, for the last couple of spots. And then he goes to the U18 Worlds where didn't really play that much. His play was really up and down. When he was there the last two games. He was better. Uh, and you kind of saw the aesthetic things that are interesting, big speeds, uh, good skill. Uh, didn't really love the decision-making there. And just kind of seeing him, you know, at the U18 junior level, you kind of got a better sense of what he is. And there's a lot of work there. Kind of reminds me of, of Yanni Yermo a little bit from last year's draft, who Vancouver took in the third round, who, you know, this big, mobile, skilled defenseman, but there's a lot of things to work on there with his off-the-puck game, his decision-making. Uh, so I kind of expect Stromkin won't go in the first round. Oscar Olsen, I think, could still slide in there. Stromkin, I would say, it's probably a second-rounder, maybe even a third. All right, and then one guy who – this isn't really a fall. You didn't have him ranked in your midseason because it was only – I think it was 34 or so players in the midseason. But Scott Morrow checking in at number 93. That's a guy who – on the Bob McKenzie uh, kind of scout-driven midseason list, was checking in at 36. That's an early second rounder. You've got him kind of toward the end of the third ranked. Um, what are you seeing in Scott Morrow? Um, you know, it sounds like you're worried about maybe decision-making and defense. Is there anything else? Yeah, I mean, he's was a really tough evaluation because he went back to Shattuck again this season for most of the season for a third uh, season with their U18 team. And that's, you know, with respect to the players in that, uh, level it's not a great level to evaluate for for NHL purposes. Uh, you kind of watch him. It looks like he can do anything he wants really at that level because he's big. He's got great hands. The feet are good enough, not amazing, but good enough. Uh, and yeah, you know, you kind of watch and you surmise on on what this could look like at higher levels. But it would be nice to see him there. And then he goes to the USHL towards the end of the season. His rights was traded numerous times. But the last team that got his rights was Fargo. He joins Fargo for the last round of the playoffs when they're playing Chicago. Um, I watched two of those, two of his games live, and I watched the others on video. And he he looked good, like he looked talented. You know, definitely can stand. You see a defenseman with his size and his skill, and it, and it stands out to you. But I also really thought like his. Uh, he thought he overcomplicated the game at times when I was watching him. I I didn't really see him make a ton of plays. Uh, his defense looked like it needed a lot of work. I think in that last game, he actually got moved up from defense to forward in that last game. Uh, so I see the toolkit. I see why he excites people, but I also see a pretty long road to becoming an NHL player. Kind of reminds me a little bit of kind of Bodie Wild at the same age. And I think Bodie's a good prospect. I think Morrow's a good prospect, but I think I think there's going to be a, quite a little bit of work there for him to round out into an NHL player. So spends three years with the Shattuck St. Mary's 18U team. And in some ways that's, I mean, in many ways, it's very impressive. It means he was playing on that team for three years. I also wonder though, toward the end, like, does it make it harder to judge something like production? Because you know, they've, they're so adjusted to the level. They, they kind of should be able to do whatever they want. Yeah. I mean, he, but his production wasn't even that good this season, to be quite honest. It was down from last season and they didn't really have the forwards they had last season. 
but I, I just can't say he had a great season. And I think his toolkit is great, but I can't like I can't say he had a season that was justifying a top two round pick. He didn't have the year that say Jackson Lacombe had at the same at the same school during his draft season. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. When you're trying to grow a business, the caliber of person you bring in to help you do that is really important. And LinkedIn makes it really easy to interview the right people for the role, quality people. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional. On LinkedIn, 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash NHL show. That's linkedin.com slash NHL show to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, so those are my questions for you about uh, your draft ranking. Obviously, our readers have plenty of their own and some that are that are not necessarily about the rankings. Um, but I want to start with one from Joseph that I thought was really interesting. He's talking about the, the scales you use for grading prospects. You change that up a little bit. You used to do a 2080 scale, which I kind of associate typically with uh, with baseball, the scouting scale that relies on kind of standard deviations. He says, I appreciate your grading scales for prospect skills, but how much do you use stats in making your projections, especially when the numbers can be pretty thin at the lower levels? How does how does stats come into this versus just kind of your standard scouting tool grades? Uh, that's a great question from Joseph. Um, it kind of going back into the beginning of the last segment and, and, and how you kind of make out uh, your list. Uh, like I said, I, I typically have a, a working spreadsheet where I have all the players and their and their tools graded out. Um, and, and I publish those for, for people. I also will uh, typically do a grade on their production at the club level and international level. So I will say this guy performed at the yay level at their league and at yay level at this major tournament. And I kind of will use that as a collaborative effort to try to get a more holistic uh, evaluation, you know, balancing the tools and the production. Uh, the lower levels is a great argument because some levels you just don't know how to judge. Like I'll use like Danila Klimovic, who could be a second or a third round pick. He played Belarus Junior League. You know, like I looked through that league. There's almost no recent examples of guys playing in the NHL after being drafted out of that league um, or being draft eligible in, in their first year in that league. So you don't use that variable as much so or you would you could take the opposite approach you can do it both ways you can either just knock it out or you could say there's no precedent to this so this gets the lowest grade 
Uh, I can see arguments for both ways, but that's, you know, I, I try to be as holistic as possible. And I tend to found, and I've actually done research on this topic, that if you balance a, a scouting scale and a statistical scale, you hopefully get the best result at the end of the day. All right. Uh, next one is from Duncan Field. What do scouts think of Alexander Kisikov? He was one of the most prolific goal scorers in this draft class, but seems to be flying under the radar. You've got Kisikov at number 46. I would say there are some NHL scouts who are really passionate about this player, who are, think that he could be a late first, early mid second, and there are some who are not as enthusiastic about him. Uh, the ones who wouldn't be as enthusiastic are they just see a small forward who's not that great a skater, and they kind of and they you know they don't they wonder if it translates. The ones who are really high on him see a lot of skill, a lot of offensive creativity, a guy who competes really hard and he can score goals and think. You know, that's a really appealing player. Uh, you know, his team, Dynamo Moscow, the, in the uh, Russian Junior League, uh, was the best team in the league this season. He was one of their best players. Uh, I expect he will be on the World Junior team next season and, and playing a significant role uh, for Russia's U20 team. So I think he's definitely going in the top two rounds. I, I wouldn't, I don't know if he's actually going the first round or not. I wouldn't be surprised, but I wouldn't put that in a mock draft right now. Uh, Russia just had a U20 camp uh, a couple of weeks ago. He wasn't that good there. There was a lot of scouts there. So I'm guessing he he dropped a little bit off that. But I still think he's going to be a top two rounder. Next one is from Matthew S. And he wants to know about Brant Clark. Brant Clark, one of the top 10 players in this draft. I think you have him ranked number eight, uh, right-handed defenseman out of Barry. Um, but the big question on Brant Clark is his skating, and you gave it a below average grade. And he wants to know, is the skating issue with Brant Clark overblown, um, or is it really going to have a, a big impact on his play in the NHL? It's kind of a million-dollar question from Matthew. Yeah, I mean, that's a thing that always comes up with Brant. The last you know 16 months I've been discussing it with NHL scouts. It's every discussion is, well, what about the skating? And 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 with that being said, I personally don't think it's that bad. You know, there are below average NHL skaters who play high in an NHL lineup. I mean, the comparison that I think his biggest advocates will use will be Adam Fox. Like, Adam Fox isn't that great, great NHL skater, but he just has so much skill and so much offensive uh, creativity and such great hockey sense that he's just a, an outstanding player. Uh, that the, I would push back on that and say, well, yes, I agree. Adam Fox is, a, you know, a star. I'm not sold this guy's skill sense combination is that that elite, but it's really good. Like he is the most skilled defenseman in the draft and a guy with, with PP one potential in the NHL. Um, but yeah, when you watch the skating, it looks awkward. It looks a little knock kneed And, but, but I also don't think it's like terrible. Like you, I, I saw him live obviously at the U18 worlds and you know, there were times he walked the line, he escaped some pressure. He, was able to spin off guys and I'm not going to say this guy's a blazer though. It, 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 he just, it's just not what he is. His brother isn't the best skater either. Uh, the New Jersey draft pick Graham, and that's not why you're drafting him. You're drafting him for his skill and his offensive hockey sense. And you kind of hope the rest get put together. And that's partially why I wouldn't say he's going to go in the top five. I think you can get uh, almost as much skill with much less risk in some of the options there. And I would probably say he's probably going to go more in the 6 to 10 range. All right. This might be a reach for me, but can he make it work for him at all? Like to have kind of an awkward looking strike? Can he make that part of his uh, way that he beats people by having that skill and having that sense and maybe being a little deceptive? 
because of that? Yeah, I think that's a really good argument because I remember like watching him, you know, when I was watching with the UA Team Worlds and he made some plays where he kind of got himself out of some trouble that I didn't think he had in him. And I don't know if you like scout guys that specifically. I don't think when you're playing a game that you're looking at the other side, you're looking at your guys and you're dissecting their skating strides. Um, but I, I, you know, he, su- he definitely surprised me with some of the things he could do out there, even though I still think he's not that explosive by any means. All right. This one's not about your list, but I do think it's a really good question. Um, and it's from Mike C. He says, if Eichel's traded near the Sabres, is there a way to win that trade? Who are you getting back? And what's the dream scenario for Kevin Adams? This is a really good question. Yeah. And it's obviously, a, you know, it's it's not going to be easy, obviously. I think the, the two trades that come to mind right away would be the Tyler Sagan trade and the Joe Thornton trade, which I think, you know, I think you could reasonably argue that Boston didn't do great in either of those exchanges. But there was also the other one where Eric Carlson went to, went to San Jose, and you can argue Ottawa, you know, won that trade. We'll see at the end of the day how all those players in those in those trades um, pan out. But it's it's probably going to be hard when you trade the best player. You're working from a disadvantage, and usually these trades are not one for one. You're not going to get you know Kirby Doc coming back from Chicago or something like that. You're, you're probably going to get a bunch of pieces. You're probably going to get four to six important pieces. You know, a combination of young players, first round picks, so on and so forth. And you hope one or two or three of them become important parts of your organization. But, you know, there's an aspect of luck in all of this. When San Jose made that Eric Carlson trade, I don't think they thought they would be as bad as they would right away. And and thus that first round pick they traded became an extremely valuable asset. It's possible you trade a guy with a first round pick and all of a sudden becomes a really high end NHL player. Not the likely outcome, but it's always possible. But yeah, it's, the Sabres are working at a disadvantage and also the disadvantage that the teams know that he wants out and they'll have leverage because many teams are going to be interested, but not as much leverage as they would have if this was an under the radar kind of negotiation. So obviously one big difference in the Carlson trade is Carlson's older. He doesn't have, I don't think he had quite, he had to get one year left on his deal at that time. He did, yeah. Michael has five, he's 24. But that said, to get Josh Norris... And the pick that became Tim Stutzla, I mean, that's not a bad starting point here in, in what an Eichel trade would look like. And at the end of the day, it's possible that Ottawa has two first-line players there. Yeah, and like I said, you're right. It's a very different trade. And I, I, I there isn't really a lot of precedent for this. I mean, the, the Sagan trade, you know, maybe you can look at that one. Uh, you know, there weren't really that many important pieces that, that went back to Boston in that, in, in that deal. But, I mean... Obviously, if you're Buffalo, you're hoping not to just get a couple of good pieces. You're hoping there's a couple of premium assets in there, whether it's really high-end prospects, a high draft pick this year, whether it's top 10 or top 5. You know, guys who are important young players in the NHL already. This can't be getting a 28-year-old forward with two years of free agency, um, a couple of nice prospects and a first-round pick. There needs to be really premium assets to, to, to make it really make sense for you. If Buffalo is able to get a you know a, a top pick, whether it's in this year's draft or a future you know twenty twenty two pick that is able to be, uh, I mean the, the value in an, a Jack Eichel kind of player who I think it's not unreasonable to say he's the number one overall caliber player. Is that fair? Yeah, in, in his best years, he his 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 play has fluctuated at times, but I think in his best years, you know he's he, he he's a pretty special player. 
can Buffalo win the trade if the best thing they get back is like a top 10 pick that's not a number one overall pick? It seems unlikely. Not impossible, but it seems unlikely because you pretty much need that top 10 pick to become a really important player in the NHL. Right. Which right. isn't impossible, but it's against the odds. So, so you know, if if it is the best piece, you need significant supplementary, basically. To yeah, there, there there needs to be some sort of significant, you know, young asset, whether it's a you know an elite prospect or or a guy who's in the NHL already and young and is really talented with a with a with a strong projection. Uh, there needs to be something really. I don't know if a top ten pick checks any of those boxes. Okay. Um, this one's from Pat. He says, what are the biggest non-size differences between Dylan Genther and William Ecklin? Both the guys who are good at a lot. He says elite at nothing, but seem to just make things happen. What do you see as a significant significant differences between Genther and Ecklin, two of the top wings in this draft? I think you have them at number two and three. Yeah, and I wouldn't say uh, Ecklin is elite at nothing. I think he's one of the best skaters in the draft, and I think his puck game is one of the best in, in the draft. But I think the differences between the two of them would be, I think Genther has a better shot. And he said non-size difference, but I would say he's a little bit more physically imposing. I think he forces more turnovers, uh, can create a little, can create a little bit more havoc in that way. Even though he's not that physical, but he just you know there's a little bit more of a uh, impact in terms of how he plays off the puck. Uh, Eklund is, I think Genther's a strong skater. I think Eklund is a tr- tremendous skater. The speed is probably similar, but his edge work is just fantastic. It reminds me a lot of how Stutzel uses his edges uh, from from last year's draft. And and his skill, I think Ganther's really skilled, but Eklund just has fantastic skill. Uh, so I think those would be the, the main differences. All right. Kevin B is thinking one step ahead as he reads your chart. And he says, on your grading scale, what can a prospect improve? So that would be your scale, skill, sense, shot, skating, and compete. What's the most improvable thing and, and what's not improvable at all for a prospect there? That's a great question by Kevin because uh, – I'm, I'm, and I'm glad he asked this. And I think when a lot of people read uh, my work, uh, this, is a, this is a comment I get a lot is that, Corey, you're a really harsh uh, skating grader and you can always just improve skating. I don't know why you talk about skating so much. And I think the reality is a lot different uh, than, than I think some people um, expect and that there is true that some people improve skating. But in my experience, watching many players from 17 till they become adults uh, and watching that aspect, I would say 99% of them don't improve their skating, at least to a substantial effect when it comes to the NHL. You hear about the ones that do. You hear about guys like Brayden Point, for example, who really turn around their skating and become strong skaters. Or, uh, but but those guys are the exception more than a rule. I would find that most guys who are not strong skaters when they're seventeen or eighteen are also not strong skaters when they're twenty-three. Not just most. I say almost all of them. That's almost always the case that that's, that happens. Um, and I think. You see that a lot when I have conversations with NHL scouts about players is the first thing that almost comes up is the skating. You know, you talk about a player and they'll say, well, what about his skating? And you ask them, well, he's a good skater. Or, he's not a good skater. Like that's that, that dominates a lot of the conversations that NHL scouts have. And it should be, and just guys who are not, who are like bigger than five nine, five ten and can skate and have a little bit of offense, those guys are all gone by pick 60. It's just how the draft works. Uh, in terms of 
the other aspects, skills, sense, uh, compete, that stuff is harder to improve, not impossible, but that's, that's, that seems a little bit more innate. And so that's developed when they're teenage years, particularly the skill aspect. It's much harder to improve when you're 18, 19, 20. I do see a lot of people who work with guys on their shots and think that that's something you can improve. I don't know as much about that technical area, but I know talking to a lot of coaches and, and scouts, they think that's an aspect that can be worked on. All right. Um, Trevor V wants to know your thoughts on kind of the size versus skill conversation in regards to defense. And we talked about this a little bit earlier in terms of the um, the, the, the defense uh, success of teams in this playoffs that, that maybe don't always have kind of the, the typical, uh, you know, skill defensemen. There's a lot of bigger, smart, steady, really mobile defensemen. He kind of wants, Trevor wants to know, would you be more inclined to rank an above average skating, but smaller D that pushes play higher than a bigger, more solid in his own zone defenseman? Or is it kind of the combo of all traits that pushes player higher? Or is it the skating kind of better make up for, for the more traditional traits? It's a good question by Trevor. Uh, I think at the, at the end of the day, you just want the best player. And I know it's a generic, boring answer, but I can kind of delve into that a little bit more and that typically you just want everything. You want the big, mobile, skilled players who are competitive. You want, you want all of those things. Um, and typically, you just when you're building out a roster, you just want the most talent. And I would say most scouts agree, not everybody, but most agree that skating and skill are more important than size and physicality. Generally, that is true. However, when you're building out a roster, uh, most teams would also say there is only so many spots on your decor you can put the small, mobile, uh, skilled defensemen before you start asking, well, who's going to take the tough defensive minutes? Who's going to kill penalties? Uh, those are, uh, you know, those are questions that I think you find a lot of resistance from. You can't have a, a uh, I had an argument once with somebody, you can't have a decor full of Quinn Hughes and Kale McCars, which I, I was obviously an exaggeration. Obviously, if you had six of those guys, it'd be a really fun team to watch. Um, but I, I think you, I think teams have not a tough time, but they definitely have to balance the, the, the fact that talent is really hard to find really premium defense talent and they would always take guys like McCarr and Fox and, and Hughes and Gerard any day of the week and would be really excited by that. Then in the day they realize they need some more big mobile physical guys to play a certain role that those other guys can't play and be put in situations that they may not be the, the that the bigger physical guy might be more effective in. All right, uh, Ernie Morris. So actually, we got two here. Ernie Morris and Chris Bacone are both asking uh, if there's a chance either of the top two goalies fall kind of into the, the 20s, one on, on behalf of one's a Red Wings fan, one's a Blue Jackets fan. I'm just going to combine them into one. What are the chances either of Sebastian Kosa or Jesper Wallstedt makes it into the 20s? Uh, I would say less than 10% and probably less than 5%. I would just say too many teams are, 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 too, are too high on both of those guys. I think they can both, I think it's, you know, definitely possible one is available in the mid-teens, maybe even late teens, but I think if you're hoping to get either of them in the 20s, I think you're, that's just unrealistic at this stage. Or you're trading up. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting in that regard. It's almost kind of like the, uh, I'm not a big NFL guy, but I, from the little I've, I've watched of it, it's kind of like when you have like the, 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 the true, like, great quarterback prospects, and there's like, the next ones are, dramatically lower because the third best goalie in, the, in this draft is probably going 
mid late second, maybe even the third. So, you know, kind of like how you got to step up for a quarterback if you really want one or need one. If you really want a goalie in this year's draft, a really premium goalie, you're going to have to maybe get a little bit more aggressive for it. All right. Uh, Timu V says, can you give your own opinion about the, the numbers versus keywords in your draft ranking? So, so this is going back to what I was talking about earlier. You used to do the 20 to 80 scale. You switched this year to just literal descriptors, average, below average, above average, high end, elite, poor. You use those now. Why did you do that? And what, what do you prefer? Like, I, I think you did it because it was more clear to readers. What would you prefer if you had your Druthers? I thought it'd be more clear to readers. Some readers said it wasn't as clear. Um, I, I did a lot of testing on this before it published. I sent it to a lot of people, both laymen and people in the scouting community to kind of get a, a, a test on, on how they perceived it. And I, I, you know, it was the first time we did it. So you learn on what worked and what didn't. Um, I think it was a little jarring to, to a lot of people to see so many uh, players being described as below average in so many categories. But I think that's just, that's just the, the reality of, that you know, there's the NHL is a really good league, and being average, if not above average, in the NHL in some categories is extraordinary praise. Uh, you know, that's you know to be an NHL average skater or skill guy uh, is is not easy. So I, I I think that I could have communicated that part a little bit better, and I might in future iterations that. It means NHL average. That I'm projecting this guy to be NHL average in in these categories. I thought when I wrote it, it would be uh, easier to understand and to picture. You know, if I said, you know, we'll use one example uh, from from uh, from my list. I'm just gonna look at it right now. I'll use Daniel Chaka as an example. If I told you there is this defenseman who was an average NHL skater with below average skill, average NHL hockey sense and competitiveness and a 6 foot 3, you could kind of go through in your head. Okay, he's he's below average in all but one category and he's above average in in another in size, so he's probably, you know, maybe a number 4. Like that's just you could kind of just kind of like intrinsically that's not how I would do it, but I would hope that would have been obvious. I I didn't communicate it as clearly I thought and uh, that's a lesson I can take for the future. Well, average in all but one, below in one, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, to me, that makes sense. I, I think if you said, if, if people read it as he's an NHL caliber in, in these three things, uh, then that, that comes off more like a compliment. But but you have to delineate. Like, there's below average guys, guys with below average skills in the NHL. By definition, it's an average. There There has to be at least a solid chunk of guys in the NHL who have below NHL average skill, right? Yeah. I think it was a lot of the guys, people thought that. I said, oh, oh, these are below average skaters. And I would say just historically, that just tends to be the case that the guys who have size and skill and skating, they are all gone by the 10th, 12th pick of the draft. That's just typically how it works. Yeah. All right. And then last one for today, Isaac L., if you were working for a team, who would you be pounding the table for in the fifth round or later? This is kind of the part of the draft where amateur scouts maybe get to kind of say, I really want this guy if we can get him. Yeah, uh, there's a couple of guys that come to mind, and, and these won't be like you know news to, to the readers uh, because I, I think they would have read my list already by, by this point or maybe have scanned it more likely. A uh, couple of ones, uh, one Finnish winger, uh, E2 Loikas 
comes to mind who plays with TPS. Didn't really play that much this season. Uh, TPS was a really strong uh, Liga team. I think they were third in the standings. Uh, he was on. He was up with the big club most of the season. Didn't get a lot of ice time. When I saw him with the junior level last season, I was really excited by this player. I saw a big winger with really good hands, had some physicality, really good shot. Uh, you know, he, I wouldn't surprise me. It may not because he's a below average skater, but it wouldn't surprise me if next season he's pretty good at the legal level, makes the world junior team, you know, useful at the, at the U20 level. You're looking at a guy who could be a mid or late round pick that you can get excited by. The skating will be why he goes later, but I think he's an intriguing guy. Daniel Lazutin's a guy I've, I've always been quite a big fan of. Had a terrible season. That's why he's probably going to be a mid to late round pick. You know, just didn't produce that much in the MHL, Russia's Junior League. Um, you know, had a, had several injuries, but this is a guy also as an underage. He's one of the youngest players in the draft, so the underage is 17-year-old season. A 16-year-old season, Luke Loikas was a 17-year-old season. Uh, I saw this big guy with with great hands, not a burner, but good enough skater, and didn't really show that consistently this season. Uh, but like as in his last season where he was one of the best players in his age group internationally. But at the U18 Worlds, uh, he didn't play as much at the start of the tournament, but by the end he was playing a bigger role and he was part of, you know, creating offense. And I can see there being some real upside given his size and, and his skill. And uh, the last one I want to call out is also another Russian uh, a guy, uh, Daniel Polinkov, uh, late 2000. Uh, the two he's he's only eligible as a two thousand because he's playing in Europe. Twenty year olds can get drafted out of Europe. Uh, had a really big season over there. I think he had like nearly twenty points as a defenseman in the KHL. Uh, got some time with Russia's national team, and I thought held his own at, at that level, which isn't which isn't easy. I saw you know a decent sized defenseman with pretty good hockey sense, uh, some flashes of skill. Skating's not great, but good enough. Uh, he's a guy that I was definitely intrigued by, and, uh, and Scott St. Petersburg just picked him up yesterday. All right. All right, that's going to do it for us on today's episode. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform, and if you are so inclined, leave a rating and review, especially if you're enjoying the show. That really helps us out. Uh, and if you want to read more of Corey's work, which I would highly recommend you do, uh, annual subscriptions to The Athletic are just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. There's a ton of good stuff coming, especially in the next six weeks as we lead up to the draft and get through it. So make sure you get in on that now and read all of Corey's coverage. And if you're a Red Wings fan, you can read some of mine too. Uh, but that'll do it for us. We will be right back here with you next week with another really fun show. Until then, take care.